newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Here we are in the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis about the news media issues of the past week, and we thank you for joining us. My name is Rex Smith. I'm editor-at-large of the Times Union, and I'm here with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, and Judy Patrick. I say here. I don't really mean here, but we are here on your radio anyway. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, a political scientist and commentator. Rosemary Romeo, longtime investigative journalist, professor at the University of Albany, and Judy Patrick, longtime editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, and now vice president of the New York Press Association. Good day to you all. I just want to point out, by the way, in these seasons that are changing, it's good to have comfort. I am wearing my Shartok socks, keeping my toes warm <laughs> and keeping me stylish. It's important to be stylish in times of COVID. Anybody else here wearing Shartok socks? No? Those the one with his yellow face? Yes, yes. It's the yeah, yellow ones with stylish polka dots on them. Yeah, very cool. Alan, you don't wear your own Shartok socks? Uh, no, but I look at them. Okay. I recommend them. They're very stylish. So let's talk about a significant issue that remains big here, the promotion of what's called election denialism. We still have right-wing media promoting this notion that there was fraud at the election supported by politicians. Alan, you go first and tell us what in the world we in the fact-based media might be able to do. Well, you know, Rex, it is so interesting. What happens is CNN, which in the beginning was, you know, fooling around with the whole thing, being very careful. They didn't want to call a guy a liar, Trump a liar, and all the rest. Now, they say in another untrue statement or in a palpably false statement or whatever they say, they indicate as they go that this president is a liar, or as I have said many times on this radio station very early before them, a lying, 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 lying liar. And that's good because that's what we need to do. We need to call them out when they're telling lies. And I think that the media has that responsibility and you can't be so worried about anybody calling you names that you don't tell the truth. Rosemary, you have any solutions? How do we combat the lack of factual reporting on this? Is it just calling out lies as lies? Anything else? You know, Ira Fussfelder, a colleague, has this lovely expression about all you can do is just keep laying on the truth. And I, I think that's what Alan is also calling for here. And it's the only thing you can do. What he is doing is not just deceitful, which we need to call out. It's a lie. But it's also a grift. It is the biggest scam possibly in political history where he's made $200 million saying, I need money to fight this legal battle. And there is no legal battle. And it's also part of a campaign of burning down all the bridges before he leaves the White House, which I don't think has come out. This week, we've heard about a new investigation into Hunter Biden. Now, come on, where's that coming from? And it's to stymie the hand of Joe Biden. And it's just to annoy him a lot. 
as are the pardons that have begun to come out and continue to come out, as are the turning back money for COVID relief, turning that back into the Treasury, or it will be difficult to get that again. It's all a series of steps meant to punish his enemies on his way out. And the whole thing about the legal battle is absolutely part of this. He's made a ton of money off of it, and in 50 cases, he's not made a score yet. There's nothing to it, and we cannot say that enough. But you know, let me turn to Judy, because you, know, you, like me, Judy, spent years in an editor's chair, meaning you heard from readers. And I hear still from readers who are upset and claim that we are covering up, that we are not telling the truth, because the truth, of course, is revealed by Newsmax, Fox, by uh, Hannity. Do you have any answer to those readers who say you're the ones, you mainstream media, who are distorting reality? Yeah, those can really be exasperating conversations, can't they? Especially when they're watching those right-wing media outlets. You know, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about how Trump supporters are wandering away from Fox, which if you really watch Fox, it's not true. They are supporting this denialism, this election denialism on many of the shows. Watch Lou Dobbs. It's incredible how vehement he is about the election being stolen. And this is pretty destructive to democracy? Will it lead to violence in the streets? I don't think so. My initial inclination was just to ignore the mistruths, but I think there's a lot of really interesting news to be mined out of, as Rosemary alludes to the grift that's going on, because you got to remember that all these Trump supporters, they're sending him $5 and $10. They're being scammed. And what's going to happen with this money? There's all sorts of really interesting stories there that need to be covered, but it's not the top story. It's not the lead of the paper. And I almost think not repeating the lie is important to do, saying he said this untruth today. And try to avoid repeating the lie, even if you need to repeat it to show that it's untrue. Any way you can avoid repeating that basic misinformation, it's a tightrope walk, but I think it's something we really need to try to do. And while you're at it, let me ask you a follow-up question. When Lou Dobbs tells a big whopping lie of that kind, this is always important to me and I think to a lot of other people. Does he believe it? (laughs) Very good question. Are these just cynical comments or do people really believe it? And I you have to wonder that when you see the number of states that lined up, states with Republican attorneys general that lined up in support of the uh, Texas challenge to the election, uh, trying to get the votes of multiple swing states tossed out. You have to wonder, do these people really believe this or are they just so cynical? It's very tough. And I don't know how you can ever find that out. I don't know, unless you get a bunch of attorneys general drunk and try to get them to tell the truth or something. (laughs) You know, Rex, you say cynical, but I have a different word. Mine is prostitutional. In other words, these guys, aware that this is all a bunch of nonsense, they want to keep their clout, their jobs, and therefore they lie knowing that they're lying. And that is the question I asked Judy before, which I think is so relevant to the way the press does its job. You want to work for Fox? Toe the line. Well, maybe one of the solutions is for the journalism industry to try to, if there is such a a thing, to try to discourage the kind of behavior that leads people to work for Fox. Maybe people should be shamed away from such positions, but I don't see that actually occurring. People will take jobs and get paid for it, even at places like Newsmax and OAN, where it is clear that they're distorting, but they're picking up paychecks and they're reaching a huge audience. I just argue for the other side. I I don't think they're distorting. I think these are 
people raised like the Kelly McEnany's of the world who are raised in conservative families. They deeply believe in this. They believe the liberal media, the liberal elite has been distorting things for years, and they see this as a balance. I think it's a deeper problem. That's harder to combat. This is not some, oh, I just need a paycheck. Those people do take jobs at Fox, but they leave after a few years as soon as they get something else. I have friends who have done that because there are too few jobs overall. But I think with Lou Dobbs, he's a true believer. It's amazing. You're probably right. I think that's true. And millions of Americans live in uh, in part because of the spread of social media, this echo chamber that is just saturated by disinformation. And so people live in that echo chamber. We all live in an echo chamber. We all pay attention to the media that we believe in. But I honestly think that there is such a thing as fact-based and non-fact-based. The difficulty is luring people away from material that is untruthful. That's difficult. I don't think you can just not cover it, which is something that you hear the media. Why do you cover this? Why do you cover Trump? If you don't cover it, then you really are open to the charge that you're censoring, that you're keeping out the news, which is why I get back to just keep laying on the truth. Cover it, but put it in context. And Judy's right. It doesn't have to be the top of the page or the top of your broadcast. Mm -hmm. You know, 72 million people are in another bubble. You can't believe that that 72 million people don't believe the lies and therefore don't vote. They are voting for him because they believe it. And also because there's this major sociological problem going on. And we've talked about it a thousand times. We can't talk about it enough. The haves versus the have-nots. The American experience is about to change as Latinos and people of color come together and are the majority in this country. And I believe the 72 million, a good deal of those voters, understand that on some level and are therefore buying the Trump lies. They have to because they don't want to lose power. You know, I know people are really alarmed by the fact that they've done polls that show a very low percentage of people believe that Biden was lawfully elected president. But I think that kind of misrepresents the case. There are always going to be Trump supporters who will say, well, Biden's not my president. But I don't think that they believe that the election was fraudulent. I think they'll come along. It's just like the old bumper stickers, you know, don't blame me. I voted for Gore. You'll get a little bit of that residual allegiance to Trump going forward. But I think the Trump bubble is going to burst. I may be wrong, as I've said before, but I think eventually it will burst. Well, people have been waiting for that for uh, about four years now. Uh, (laughs) It never happened during the primaries. We all thought it was going to happen. The effects of misleading information in a lot of the media really change policy directions, too. A case in point would be the Green New Deal. It turns out that Fox News during one test period aired more than twice as many primetime segments discussing the Green New Deal as MSNBC and CNN combined. And that Fox coverage was riddled with misinformation. This is according to research by the watchdog group Media Matters, riddled with misinformation. And the result is that, especially on the right, especially Republicans, believe that they are highly informed about the Green New Deal and strongly opposed to it. So no wonder during the campaign, you know, the Biden-Harris campaign did not endorse the idea. It's, uh, it became controversial, even though it's hardly as powerful a proposal or as problematic a proposal as it's been predicted and depicted by uh, Fox News. So there are real policy consequences here.
This is nothing new. Republicans are just a whole lot better at this messaging than Democrats. I remember Hillary Clinton's health care program, which was depicted not in news coverage, but in the ads that you mentioned again this time, over and over again. There'll be death squads. There'll be socialism. It's the worst thing that's ever happened, and it was health care. And the same thing happened. That went down in flaming defeat. And the same treatment is being given to the Green New Deal. And Democrats have done nothing to counter it other than back away. Joe Biden backed away from it. Yeah. Is that a media problem? It's a media problem if we don't point it out. You know, the New York Times did investigative reporting that found that a really well-funded effort to create AstroTurf, that is what looks like a grassroots campaign, but it's really not, an AstroTurf campaign to support oil companies. In fact, it was funded by the oil companies. And so it's great that the Times pointed this out, but the effect is that you've got an awful lot of people believing that the oil companies are now being disadvantaged by the left. So I guess the key is it's a journalism issue if you don't do the reporting to unspool some of the lies that are going on. Well, as you point out, even having done the reporting, nothing happened because somebody has to act on the reporting. And that would be, I think, the Democratic Party. Republicans have long accepted that it's advertising that counts and it's constant harping on an issue. It's propaganda. They've used those techniques. Democrats have not. And if the press starts taking up for the Democrats, pointing out their side as they ought to, then we really are agents of the Democratic Party as we're accused of being. Right. The Republicans are so good at this. They are like a dog with a bone, and they've been like that for years and years. And the press can amplify it. And, I mean, they could choose to ignore it. They could say to themselves, there's nothing new here. This is an old story, or this isn't true, and this is why. But I agree with Rosemary that Democrats kind of roll over and just take it. I mean, the best offense is a good defense, and they're showing no defense. Not to get a sports metaphor in there, but there's no defense there. Well, you know, the dog may be older and the bone may be older. (laughs) I I, I didn't get it. Because she said a dog with a bone. And I said, but it's an older dog with an older bone now. And you may remember, guys, that the Democrats did take the United States House of Representatives and all the analysis shows it was based on health care. So somehow, even though, you know, there's a denial that they ever do anything right, the message was out there that if you want health care, you really have to support the Democratic Party. And that worked in that case. So, you know, it's not a one-sided, one-note concept. Well, the Republicans do know that if this were a message that the Democrats really got across in 2018 and why in 2020 was Mitch McConnell reelected easily. If you want health care, you don't put Mitch McConnell back in. You know, health care raises an interesting issue. If we uh, can take a transition for just a moment here, there is a great appetite, an expanding appetite, it seems now, for news on health and science. There is this focused news site called STAT, owned by the same people who own the Boston Globe, that is hugely expanding this year. That's about to like grow its editorial staff by 40%, I read. This is an interesting phenomenon, not only the rise of health journalism, but the rise of these targeted newsrooms, the STAT for Health and Science, Chalkbeat, the great education reporting team, the Marshall Project covers justice, whereas overall size of newsrooms is diminishing as many newspapers are closing. 
1,800 papers, 1,700 of them weeklies. We see the rise of these single-issue newsrooms on topics that really matter to people. And one of the interesting media stories of the years to come, I think, will be whether these will gain resonance and whether they will really have an impact on storytelling and on journalism in general. Uh, Any hope there? Well, where there's life, there's always hope. For a long time, journalists steered clear of specializing because they thought that they were all purpose journalists. They were more likely to retain a job or be able to shift into something new when the fads change. Like for a while, being a business reporter was a really hot field to go into. But then, you know, business departments or business pages began to be eliminated. And those reporters found themselves having to adopt new skills. So, you know, the whole idea of specialized reporting, you have to understand you're going to live and die with the public's interest in that specific realm at a particular time, or you're going to have to dedicate your size to garnering income from people interested in education or science. But specialized reporters are always much better than an all-purpose reporter who's trying to learn how a virus works from the very beginning. Sometimes when you have a more experienced science reporter, they obviously know the realm much better and they are able to communicate effectively. But from a reporter's perspective, it's dicey to specialize, in my opinion. Okay. One more topic that is changing as a result of the uh, change in demand, let's say, and that is the surge for coverage involving communities of color. And this emerges in the recent report from Report for America, which is a terrific organization that now employs 300 young reporters in uh, dozens of newsrooms around the country. That is, Report for America helps to subsidize reporting in many newsrooms by hiring these young people for a two-year stint covering specific beats. And the new group of Report for America reporters who have been sent out around the country, a third of these beats involve coverage of communities of color because there is now suddenly such a surge of demand in newsrooms for people doing that kind of coverage. That's a promising story, isn't it? That's a promising development, I mean. Well, you know where this comes from. As you probably know, there's something called Teach for America, in which very good young people went into classrooms totally unprepared, no education background, and did extremely well. Both my kids, by way of disclosure, did it, and it was great. So this is a report from America, and there are some similarities here. You're taking people, you're putting them into places that they might not have ordinarily gone, and we'll see whether or not they can swim, which is the way that the Marines teach you how to swim. And they throw you in the water. <laughs> and Report for America also requires a certain commitment from the, the local newspaper or the local community because they have to come up with half of the funding to support this new edition. So I think it reflects, you know, more than just charity to the effort, but a real commitment from the grassroots to do this work. The other point, though, is we need to read the content or observe the content that these people create and spread it far and wide and make it part of our normal consumption of news. I want to dispel the idea that there's something new in this. In the 1970s, when I was first getting into this business, there was a push to bring in more minority reporters and to increase coverage of minority communities. And then, again, we saw a push for this a few years ago when we were, again, trying to just improve coverage. And it never works for the reasons that we're pointing to. There are no resources. You are not going to be a minority reporter when you can also get a better job where minorities are also needed, for example, education and science, their actual jobs with real paying money. You don't have to live with your parents. And and it's a hugely hard job because there's such a buildup of distrust 
in many communities against news media, and that has not been improved under Trump. So you're going to take a horrible, difficult job. You're not experienced because the only one who will take these jobs are beginners who don't really know reporting, and then go out and you're seen as an Uncle Tom if you're a black reporter in some communities. I worked for the St. Lauderdale Papers in the early 2000s. They made a real push because it was a very diverse community in Fort Lauderdale with blacks and uh, Hispanics of, of all different nations. And they brought in great reporters. They really put an effort into it. And it was like a drop in the bucket. Their efforts were not appreciated by regular, if you will, white suburban reporters, their mainstay. And they, they didn't get enough input into the minority communities to make up the difference. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a very difficult thing. And we can say, oh, that's very hopeful. And I guess it's good that we keep trying, but we have not gotten it right in the half century I've been in the business. Well, since most people get their news from television anyway, maybe the impact is greater when it comes from the top of the pyramid. Here's news that the first black person to run a major cable news network has been named. Rashida Jones is going to run MSNBC. She's only 39 years old, right? A black woman. This is significant, replacing a 64-year-old white man. And that perhaps suggests that if you want to really have America better understand the perspective of communities of color, you need to get people into executive positions in the television networks. Maybe those of us who have focused our years on local news are, as Rosemary suggests, going to be daunted, going to fail at this effort anyway. So this is at least a promising development, isn't it, Prashita Jones? Judy, I think you should give your speech about how it's a shame that these stories are still news in 2020. Um, <laughs> it is true that it, it is 2020, and this is the first. And, you know, it's not like in the old days when there were only four networks. There's plenty of networks that people can be chief executive officer of, and it's taken until 2020 to get a woman who was of color in that position, and we still talk about it. And it's incredible how far behind the rest of the world America is in many of these kinds of cases. I watch a lot of cable news, and they're making an effort, I think. I'm not sure Fox is making an effort, but I think many of the other cable news shows are. But it's more than just having the faces on. It's covering different issues, the issues maybe you know old white people like me aren't aware of. And I think having somebody at the top with a different perspective, a different background, a different a whole range of experience will start to bring that. But yeah, it's 2020. I thought this would have happened a long time ago. And it's coming at an inflection point. The Fox News winning streak has been snapped. CNN, since the day after the election, has been the most watched cable network, especially in the pivotal demographic 25 to 54, I guess. All of us here are no longer pivotal. But anyway, uh, the, the fact <laughs> is, this is really uh, changing. And Fox is facing uh, this competition from the right as CNN is taking it with the fact-based reporting. We're at a time when a lot of things are actually changing, especially in the cable news world. And as you know, this is actually happening as streaming is taking off, too, where uh, the means of reaching people is changing. So I think a lot is going to be changing in the years ahead and changing of the demographic is one significant piece of it, right? And you know what, Rex? A lot of it has to do with business, setting up your own brand. So CNN is now eating MSNBC's lunch. So you could just see these guys sitting around a room deciding, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to make this a channel 
that everybody can come to and feel appreciated in more so than we've ever done before. And it is not only a wise decision, but also a business decision. Mm -hmm. Because they see the audience is there and they need to take advantage of it. And I think Mm -hmm. Fox is going to come roaring back this Newsmax. Newsmax is really not that good. The content usually isn't that good. I think this is a short-term thing, their popularity. I think Fox, they're going to build a whole network out of picking out all the things that the Biden administration does wrong and all the injustices that are going to be done to Trump in the months ahead. I think Fox is okay. I wouldn't worry too much about them. They're going to easily stamp out the competition from Newsmax and OAN. Just one piece of clarification, and that is, I'm not worried about Fox. <laughs> how, how long do you think Biden's honeymoon with the press, and I mean the legitimate, mainstream, whatever you want to call it, legacy press, how long do you think he'll be on good terms before he becomes a target? In the same way that Obama was, that Carter was, that every Democrat, as well as Republican president, has been in the past. What do you think? They say that 100 days is traditional, and by then, reporters have new sources lined up. The president has done enough that there's a body of work to criticize And so it lasts 100 days. I think he might get longer because Trump was such a monstrosity to the press that there's a lot of relief. But it'll depend on how he deals with it, how his press secretaries handle the press, how he himself does. He's not unknown to bark at the press and to be secretive either. So um, I I definitely do not buy the idea that the liberal media, if you will, is on the Democratic Party line. But I think that he'll have an easier time than most beginning presidents because of Trump. But the Democrats are a circular firing squad, and we all know it. And they cause their own trouble. So AOC is already yelling. Bernie Sanders is already putting the jab in. And there will be a lot of coverage of it. That's absolutely right. That is just where the storylines go. And there will be coverage. And the White House under Biden will not like it. And that's tough. And then with that, we're going to have to end because we are out of time. It's true, Alan. I'm sorry. So I'm going to take my Shartok socks and walk off to the next appointment of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all, folks, for joining us. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Romeo, Judy Patrick with uh, gratitude to our producer, David Gustina. I'm Rex Smith, thanking you all for joining us this week on the Media Project. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. All newspapermen meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding-ling, ding-ling, ling-ling, ling Now newspapermen are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally the movie's notwithstanding. They all got tired of patches on their pants. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just down Download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Policies an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. 
It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs> 